Planning for retirement with an eye on taxes and fees is a big job. On today's show, some tips to help make sure your money lasts all the way through. Welcome in to the Retirement Referee with Steve Caruso. Hey, welcome in, everybody. This is the Retirement Referee with Steve Caruso. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Hey, this is the show where we blow the whistle on financial fouls. Uh, you can find Steve. He's a best-selling author. You can find his book on Amazon. It's Cookie Cut This, Retirement Distribution Strategies for the Nonconformist, uh, president of and founder of Laurel Wealth Solutions, and uh, so much more. You're a fiduciary. You've been helping folks for more than 20 years. You've pretty much got it going on, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy post-Christmas uh, holiday to you. Yes, indeed. Exactly. Yeah, hard to believe we're staring 2022 in the face here. Yeah. No, our next our next show will be in 2022. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, well, I mean, again, so you talk about, um, the, you know, retirement and taxes, and boy, the two really go hand in hand, and we have to we have to be aware of that. And that is really one of the things that you do so well is help people, you know, manage those taxes, especially in retirement. One of the things I often say is that as a financial advisor or a financial planner, we can only really make you money two ways. No one's investments are going to, no one can guarantee that their investment strategy is going to do better than someone else's investment strategy. But the way we can save you money is by lowering what you're paying in fees and lowering what you're paying in taxes unnecessarily. So what a retirement distribution planner does in a nutshell is they find the most efficient place for you to take your, your money from so that you minimize the amount of taxes that you owe. And it's about aligning your investments in the right types of accounts so that your growth oriented investments, for example, are earning in potentially tax free accounts or, or earning as per long term capital gains, which are taxed as a lower rate. So that's one of the ways that we can save money by preventing unnecessary taxes. The other way we save money is, is limiting fees. And you'd be amazed how many people have no idea what they're paying in fees uh, every year. I almost every every day almost I, I I meet with people who have been paying thousands and thousands of dollars of a year in fees. I mean the the average client that comes to me for a plan by the time they get to me they're paying usually around eight thousand dollars a year in fees at their previous firm, and that's because the advisor is usually charging them something, and then the advisor is typically picking mutual funds or annuities or or things that are loaded with expenses that they don't really disclose. And so they disclose it in a prospectus, which they send you every year that no one really reads, uh, unless it's, you know, you're trying to put yourself to sleep. So one of the things that we like to do with anyone who comes to see us and, you know, any of the listeners who decide to come and, and sit down, we do this for you. We put together a spreadsheet that shows you in dollars what you're paying in fees. And that's important. A lot of things that we see a lot of times too is these closed end funds where the the financial advisor will tell you, "Oh, I got this great IPO for you." And it's, you know, it's managed by Eaton Vance or the, you know, pick your insert your mutual fund company. Sure. And the reason they're selling you that is because they don't disclose the commission to you because the commission is built into the product. So, you're buying it and then you notice 4 months later it hasn't grown at all and it's actually gone down in on the principal and maybe yes you're getting maybe a 6 or 7% interest rate on it but your principal's gone down 15% and that's because they built in a generous commission for the underwriter as well as the agent. And so um and that's disclosed in the prospectus which again most people don't read and it's not disclosed anywhere on your statements. So, these are the types of things that we 
we kind of demystify for you and um and show you. So you take like a, a portfolio x-ray. I mean, you just take a deep dive into this thing and, and figure out where all the fees are because you're right. I mean, the fees are disclosed, but it's not like they put them in big, bold print. Yeah, no. And they, we, we as an industry, and this is an, in, this is probably why the industry has, has trust issues. It, we quote everything in percentages by 1%. So we could be charged. We could have a product like a prudential variable annuity, not to pick on prudential where you're actually all in paying about 4% in fees. But it's broken down as three, you know, three one and a third fee percent fees or four one percent fees. Sure. And so the they're charging you one percent for this and one percent for that and one percent for that, and so it all adds up. And when you look at it, if you have a three hundred thousand dollar variable annuity with Prudential that has four percent in fees, you're paying twelve thousand dollars a year in expenses. And when you see it in dollars, you kind of can make common sense decisions because. You think that you can think about it logically and say there's very few services that you would pay twelve thousand dollars a year for, and so you know then you'd start to say, well, is there a, is there a way that I could I could create that same peace of mind that the annuity the prudential annuity is creating for me with something else at a lower cost, and so and that's um, that's why it's so important to work with someone who's independent and objective because we're going to try and find the product that best serves your your goal with that money. Well, and that's part of being a fiduciary as well. I mean, you're looking out for us, you got our back and, and you know, it's, it's more advantageous for you if you take care of us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just, it makes your day a lot less stressful when you're doing the right thing for people and you're not, you're not trying to hide under a veil of secrecy or hide behind a prospectus with 4,000 pages. So, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, you know, you're offering a solution. You're not selling products, right? I mean, that's the big difference. No, it is. We're going to put the the products where they fit, right? And yeah. so there's no bad financial products. You know, you might read, I, I, you know, I hear all the time from clients, oh, I, I hate annuities. Really? Why do you hate annuities? It, because they, they've read somewhere or someone told them that annuities are awful. But and I, the annuity is not the culprit. It's the agents that sell the annuities, right? right because right, exactly. the annuity, if, if sold for the correct purpose, is a great product. But what happens is, unfortunately, because there are some advisors who are not fiduciaries who are transaction-based, they're getting paid based on the size of the life insurance premium or the, the annuity premium, and they're, they tend to recommend more annuity than what is actually needed. And um, sometimes someone will tie up money that shouldn't be in an annuity in an annuity, and then is that person going to be happy? No, of course not. They're good. They're going to tell everyone and their brother, never buy an annuity. But right. if you actually understand what the annuity does and when it when it should be used and you buy it for the right purpose, it's actually a great product. Absolutely. And so we're talking about, you know, making sure that our retirement plan is in good shape, especially as we, we sort of wind up the year and look ahead to next year. Um, our debt has to come into play. And you know, especially if it's consumer debt, we really need to work on that, don't we? We do. And this is one of the things that uh, we do in all of our financial plans is we'll show you what's the most pressing things for you to take care of. And oftentimes someone will come in and they have 15, 16, sometimes 25, 26% interest rates on credit cards. And they're, they're making just the minimum payments or they're, or they say, oh, I'm working on paying it down. Well, that 26%, your, your debt is going to double, you know, every three years if you're if you're paying that kind of interest rate on your credit cards and your investments are not going to double every 3 years there's nothing that you have that's going to guaranteed to double every 3 years but your credit card debt so the quicker you can eliminate it the more money you have and these are the things that we look at when we put together 
uh, a financial plan for people. And we'll show we'll create a strategy for you to address that debt and get you out sooner because the sooner you get out of it, the the better it is. And it's certainly you want to be out of it before you retire because carrying credit card or high interest rate debt into retirement is like walking around with, uh, like to use a, a Christmas carol analogy, like Jake, Jacob Marley with all the chains. <laughs> yes, so, exactly. yeah. yeah, we don't need um, the chains. Exactly. And so um, we put we'll, we put together plans for our listeners every week, absolutely free. Uh, we have 15 spots. So uh, if you're one of the first 15 callers in, we will put together a plan for you. And that sounds great. Take advantage of this, folks. End the year on the right foot. Sit down with Steve and, and begin to put together that financial roadmap. Things become clearer and easier to understand. Really, it's a chance to get a true practical financial review. And if you're listening, then give us a call. It's 800-705-9995. You'll get that comprehensive financial review, all the extras too. But more importantly, when you walk out the door, you will have in your hand a roadmap. It's a guide that can help get you on the road to retirement. Give us a call, 800-705-9995. Again, 800-705-9995. Some surprising statistics about how Americans are using their 401ks. How much do you really know about your 401k? You might be surprised what your money is doing while you work. We're back on The Retirement Referee with Steve Caruso. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. It's the show where we blow the whistle on financial fouls. Steve's been helping folks for uh, better than 20 years. He's a fiduciary. He is uh, an, an, an independent. I couldn't spit that out. Um, and uh, you'll find more information about Steve and what he does, how he does it, at laurelws.com. That's laurelws.com. All right. You, I, I like this because we're going to talk about 401ks. For a lot of us, that is our our pretty much our main tool in saving for retirement. And, and, you know, 401ks are great and it's a great opportunity and it gives us opportunities to save. But, um, you know, like you said, what's, what's your money doing while you're working for it? Right. And there's a couple of, uh, of big issues here with the 401k. Number one, you know, some 401ks only offer very limited choices. So, you know, we talk often about federal employees. So if you're in the uh, the TSP, which is the 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 their equivalent of a 401k, if you're a federal employee, you basically have five investment choices. Now they have these target date funds, but so the they'll have like an L 2030, 2040, 2045. Those are all just a combination of the same five core funds. So you're limited in in, in what you can choose, and they only have you know passive style funds. Um, it's not the worst thing in the world. But, uh, you know, some plans are going to offer you more choices. Now, whether whether or not you take advantage of those choices is up to you. And in fact, the majority of people do not take advantage of the choices. A lot of people, more than half of all contributions are invested into a single fund. And I call this the cookie cutter or the, the lazy person's approach. Um, and if you can tell from the name of my book, Cookie Cut This, I'm not... I'm not a big fan of cookie cutter portfolios, sure, but that's what most people invest in in their 401k. They do one of these target date funds. Here's why that's bad. Okay. A target date fund is going to become more conservative as you get closer to retirement. So you say, what's bad about that? Well, the theory is good, but it's not based on your goals at all. And so it's becoming overly conservative, number one. Number two, it's moving you, the conservative asset class that they're moving you to is bonds and bond prices move opposite interest rates. 
when you're in a bond fund, which is what you would be in one of those target date funds, you have no set maturity date. So it's not like you can hold the, the bond and get your principal back. So as interest rates go up, the price of your bonds go down. Hence, the price of the mutual fund goes down. And now you're taking more and more of your retirement assets every single year as you get closer to retirement and putting it into essentially a, a negative asset class because the, your, the bonds are not going to keep pace with inflation. And so you still want to own stocks in retirement because over the long run, stocks are the only thing that keep pace with inflation. And you're going to experience inflation in retirement. Whether, you, whether or not you think you're going to experience inflation in retirement, believe me, you are. And you're going to experience higher inflation than the average person. Why? Because when you're saving for retirement, a 40-year-old worker, what are they buying? They're buying things that sometimes go down in price, like electronics, you know, as they age. It's cheaper to get an older generation iPhone than it is a new generation iPhone, right? So, sure. But what are you consuming more of as you retire and you get older? Healthcare. And some people say to me, well, Steve, I'm healthy. I, uh, I'm not going to consume. I don't consume that much healthcare now. Well, you are because you're paying health, health insurance premiums. And so just to give you an example, and again, we'll go back to the federal employees, right? So over the last 10 years, the average federal pension has had a cost of living adjustment of 1.47%. Over that same 10-year period, the average health insurance premium, their health insurance is called FEHB, the Federal Employee Health Benefit, has gone up by 3.99%, so more than double. You have to look no further than Social Security this year, right? Right. We had we we've talked about it extensively on the show. We had that major cost of living adjustment over five percent uh, on the Social Security. But what happened to the Part B premium? It went up by over fourteen percent. So you have to account for inflation. And what those target date funds do is they move you more into bonds. Now, historically, in the thought process in doing that was well, bonds tend to be a good investment over time. But when was that rule, those rules of thumb created? When people said, oh, you should put your age in bonds, right? So if you're 65, you should have 65% of your portfolio in bonds. When did, they, when did those rules get created? Well, they got created in the 70s. When, what were financial services firms selling at that time? Bonds. Bonds. Yeah. So <laughs> sure. what did they want you to always buy more of? Bonds. Bonds. <laughs> and so it was a self-serving rule to begin with. Now, it didn't hurt anyone. Why? Because if you think back to the late 70s, early 80s, you could walk into a bank and get 16% interest on your CD and you'd get a free toaster. So exactly. now, now you, you, you're lucky if you can get a tenth of a percent interest on a bank account. And again, bond prices move opposite interest rates. So you've had the greatest 40-year period for bonds because they went from 16% down to 0%. So that's great for bond funds. But the reverse is likely to be true over the course of your retirement if you're looking at retiring in the next year or two. And so having a portfolio that's over allocated to bonds is not the right call. And it's one of those things that I, I, I often have to explain to people because they, they, they think, well, why would I want to be more in stocks? It's telling me I should be more in bonds because I'm close to retirement. Well, no, you need to look at your spending and the money that you're going to spend in the next three to five years. That's the money you should carve out and put into something safe. And if you need to put it in something safe, you're much better served using the stable value fund in your 401k than you are using a bond fund, because at least the principal is guaranteed on that and it will give you some interest. And so 
and then the rest of the money can be invested more aggressively once you've carved out some money for safety because you'll have enough you'll have time to be able to pick your spots on when you sell stocks if you've carved out three to five years of your income need and so that's that's the idea behind the whole premise of uh, of how you should be investing and that's also the reason why the target date funds don't work. Well, and, and again, with our 401ks, that's something that you're willing to sit down with us and take a look at our 401k and see if we are in the right funds and see what our choices might be, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's one of those things that we look at. And I just want to touch on one other thing that we would yeah. look at in your plan too. So when you come in and if you're one of, I think we have about nine spots left. If you're one of the, the next nine callers in that, and we sit down and do a plan for you, one of the things that we're going to look at is the options that you have in your plan. And a lot of times, if you're working for a big company like a Verizon or uh, a Bristol Myers, you might have a, a substantial amount in company stock in your plan, which a lot of financial advisors will say, oh, you should diversify that because it's too much concentration in one stock, which is true. But did you know, you maybe you, you, you contributed that money 30 years ago. There's a way to take the stock out of your 401k and only pay tax on the amount that actually went into the stock. So if you put in 100000 into Verizon stock and it's now worth a million dollars, you could shift that stock completely out of your 401k plan and you're only paying income tax on $100,000 and you have $900,000 of long-term capital gain. You now would get a step up on death. It's significantly more tax efficient. And then once it's outside of the 401k, there's other things. There are other ways that you could hedge the position as well using option strategies or advanced planning type strategies. So these are the types of nuances that it really makes sense to work with someone who's specializing in retirement distribution planning. And that's that's what we do for our clients. Um, and hope, we hope you call in. Oh, yeah, folks, take advantage of the offer. It's a great way to be able to sit down, get a financial roadmap put together, a, a financial review. I mean, if you're looking for a second opinion, let Steve take a look at that plan, see if it's in good shape, see what might need to be done to make it even better. 800-705-9995. You'll get the comprehensive financial review. You'll see where you are today, but more importantly, you walk out the door with a roadmap that can help get you to where you need to be when it comes to retirement. 800-705-9995. Again, 800-705-9995. Learning from our mistakes is good, but learning how to avoid them is even better. When we come back, we'll show some things retirees wish they knew before they got there. back on the retirement referee with steve caruso i'm consumer advocate steve sadal of course steve has been helping folks for more than 20 years he's a fiduciary independent um and so much more than that a, a best-selling author cookie cut this retirement distribution strategies for the non-conformist i would encourage you to check that out um and i like this steve you're learning from our mistakes but boy sometimes it's good if we learn from other people's mistakes too don't you think yeah no it's a, it's a lot better to learn from other people's mistakes um you know, it saves yourself a lot of a lot of heartache. Exactly. So how do we how do we approach this from, uh, you know, avoiding mistakes when getting ready for retirement? There's a there's a lot of moving pieces here. And, and you know, there are no guarantees, as they say. I mean, you know, there, but there are. But I mean, again, it's, a, it's kind of a dicey area to kind of walk through, isn't it? Yeah, there is. So there's no there's no guarantees uh, on your retirement investments. Right. We but what we do know is that based on time, we can predictably look at 200 years worth of market data and say, based on a time horizon, what asset class is typically going to outperform 
other asset classes, right? So if we look over the long run, we know that stocks typically outpace inflation. Why do most of us not hold stocks for the long run, particularly retirees? Why do they not hold stocks? Because they need the money, right? And I don't want to curse on the day after Christmas, so I'll say there's an oh shoot factor when, <laughs> yeah, when, right? when, uh, when, when the market goes down, right? And so, and we've seen this, I, I, you saw it in 2020 in March when it, when it went down. I saw it definitely in 2008, 2009. There's a, a mental number that someone has in their head when their portfolio goes down. And they say, they say to themselves, even if they have the resolve to hang on, they say, just get me back to where I was and I'm, I'm selling out and I'm never going back into stocks. And that's completely the wrong attitude. And the reason, the reason that happens is not because um, the investments that they picked were bad investments. The reason it, people lose money and panic is because they're investing money that they think they need right then and there. Because when you stop working, you're no longer getting a paycheck. And so psychologically, when you see red numbers on your statements, it impacts you more mentally. And if you've done the proper planning and you've segmented out your assets to where you know that the money in the stock market is not money that you need to touch in the next five years, you're much more likely to, to be calm and ride out a storm than, than someone who hasn't done that planning and is just in a target date fund and is taking proportionately from stocks and bonds. And so really, we talk about this all the time, but what really what planning does is give you peace of mind. And so by segmenting, you're always taking out your distribution from a winner. So if you've properly segmented, and we talk about the buckets, right? The three buckets, the liquid bucket, right. the income bucket, and the growth bucket. But let's focus on the liquid bucket because the goal of that liquid bucket where it has three to five years worth of your income need, that bucket should be invested in something that's safe something like a stable value fund in a 401k, something like a, a, a money market or um, a fixed account where you're getting an interest rate, your principal is safe and it's liquid. If that's the case, even in a down market, you pull your distributions that you need from that safety bucket and you're not losing anything, right? Because you're not, you're not selling the, the part of your portfolio that's down. Correspondingly, if we're in a year that's been really good where the market's gone up 15, 20%, and now you need to take a distribution. You can take it from the stock piece. So you're you're picking you're picking the winners, and you're choosing. And so by segmenting out your assets in that manner, you can always make decisions from a position of strength, as opposed to saying, "Oh my God, uh, you know the market has gone down, and I don't I don't know where I'm supposed to distribute from." And let me just let me just take out some money, and move to the sidelines. And so the problem with moving to the sidelines is that the best days in the market are usually preceded by the worst day in the market, right? So, yes. uh, you know, so we get those bounces. And if you've taken it out on the bad day, then you're not there when it, when it comes back up. And no matter how much you think you're going to be there or you're going to get into the lower price, most people are not able to successfully time the market. It's about the time in the market, not trying to time the market. Right. And so if, if you're, if you're properly segmented, it allows you to have that necessary time in the market to make the money. Okay, so besides the market, one of the other things that we have to be uh, aware of and concerned about is our Social Security. And concerned by that, I mean when to claim, because so many people get it wrong, Steve. It's just, it's a big decision. So let's make sure we get it right. 
Yeah, and we make we make these decisions based on anecdotal data, meaning my you, second cousin we, told me to. Yeah, my second cousin <laughs> told me to, or someone's you know someone told me Social Security is not going to be there, so I, I better start collecting it now. Um, I have a neighbor who used to go running every single day and dropped dead of a heart attack one year into retirement. You know, these are these are not reasons to start Social Security early, but these are reasons that I've heard over the years that why people started social security. Of course, early. sure, sure. And so the re you have to look at this from a, a completely detached statistic-based approach to it. Social security is going to grow at 8% every year between your full retirement age and 70. So if you think about that logically, do you have any guaranteed investments that are going to grow by 8% a year? Most likely no. And so that's if, if possible, it's better to defer it. Now, the other question is, is, well, yeah, I'm getting a bigger income at 70, but now I have less years, right? And I may not live long enough. Well, the break even is 80 years and six months. So if you live to 81, you are better off deferring it to 70. What are the statistical likelihood of you living to 81? Well, it's actually more than a 50% chance that you're going to live to 80, your statistical life expectancy as a male that makes it to retirement age is 87, as a female is 89. So you're talking potentially eight or nine years on average of being uh, of being in the black, so to speak, by waiting. Now, if you're retiring and it's not on your own terms, like you got laid off and you or you have medical issues, right? Then obviously it's okay to start Social Security early if you don't have any other means of income. But oftentimes I see people collecting social security while they're still working. And so they could easily be deferring it at 8% and they say, oh, I'm going to bankroll the paychecks, the social security checks. It's like, well, why not just keep the social security in there and take the higher income at 70? And so these are the types of things that we look at when we do our, our, our plans. And we still have about four spots left. We offer those plans for free every week to our, our listeners, so uh, please take advantage. Absolutely. It starts with a phone call. Super easy, folks. It's 800-705-9995. You get a financial roadmap put together to just have these conversations, to talk about your retirement, to sit down with somebody like Steve who who understands that, that transition from the acquisition to the distribution preservation stage. That becomes crucial as you get into that financial red zone that, you know, five, ten years before retirement. It's your chance to get a practice Practical Financial Review, 800-705-9995 is how you get things going. It's a comprehensive financial review. You'll see exactly where you are today, but what's more important is you'll end up with a roadmap that'll help guide you, that can help get you to where you need to be in retirement. 800-705-9995, 800-705-9995. Listeners have been busy this week sending us plenty of questions. When we come back, we'll tackle as many as we can. back on The Retirement Referee with Steve Caruso. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Of course, uh, Steve has been helping folks for a long time and getting to and through retirement, having a great conversation today. In the last segment, Steve, we were talking about, you know, things that we can you know, learn from others and, or learn from our own mistakes. And certainly, I think we can have the advantage from you because you've seen all of these things over the years and, and can help us avoid them, be, you know, obviously before we ever do them. So, I mean, let's keep that thought going for a minute. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So it, we're, you know, in the kind of the, the Christmas spirit, maybe yesterday you saw, 
your parents or your children, and maybe they went back to their own home afterwards, right? Right. But for some people, that's not the, their own home is their home, right? So right. Uh, what happens if you're retiring and you have parents that you need to take care of? Well, that kind of puts a limit on some of the aspirational stuff that you can do if you're having to care for a parent. And so these are things that you you need to plan for and you need to adjust your spending. And it blows my mind when when I'm speaking to people about their retirement and they say to me, no one's ever asked me that question. And it's like, how 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 has that never been asked to you? I mean, that those are that's a huge part of your retirement, right? If your kids are still living at home and still not financially independent, like they're not even helping with bills, that's gonna be a huge drain on your finances. So the 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 child that's been living at home and living off of your your income for 20, 30 years doesn't all of a sudden overnight become motivated to go out and get their own place just because you're retiring. Doesn't and happen so, that way? <laughs> yeah. They even made a movie about that, right? I don't know if you ever saw that failure to launch with Matthew McConaughey oh, yeah, right. where the parents are trying <laughs> exactly. to push him out of the house. Yes, yes. Right? And so unfortunately, I've had this in my own family. Like if you have an elderly family member with dementia, they don't all of a sudden get better overnight. It just becomes more and more time consuming. And so, you know, these are things that you need to you need to consider when you're doing your retirement plan, because it's going to limit how you spend your time. And it's going to you want to make a realistic uh, you want to make a realistic calculation of uh, of what your retirement is going to look like and what it's going to cost. Of and course, those certainly impact both. Sure. And so. We'll get into some questions now, but I definitely didn't want to leave that last segment without touching on that. Understood. And uh, so, yeah, let's jump into a couple of questions here. Uh, Greg says, uh, do beneficiaries pay taxes on life insurance? That's a good question. It's a great question, and it's very, very, very relevant. I'll give you a little bit of a history lesson here, Greg. The answer to your question is no. And the reason is the Spanish flu. And so, you know, obviously we've all just gone through the COVID pandemic. Yeah. Life insurance became tax-free. The death benefit on life insurance became tax-free after the Spanish flu. Really? So, yes. Uh, the reason being, and it's not really talked about very often, is that that particular strain of, of flu, which was similar to like the swine flu that we had about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. it had a much higher death rate to people in their 20s than it did to older folks. And so what happened was you had a massive swath of the population that were in their early to mid 20s that passed away and left a lot of orphan children. So communities had to absorb all of these orphan children. So the government wanted to incentivize people to buy life insurance. So they made the death benefit tax free. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that. That's an interesting thing. And, so and it's never it, been changed, obviously. And, and that, No, it's never been changed. And it, But that, that's, that's how it became, that's how the death benefit became huh. tax-free because of, uh, of communities being hard hit after the Spanish flu and a lot of orphan children. I mean, that was a long time ago. I mean, that's 1918, right? I mean, that's- Yes, that 1918. Time yeah. Wow. So you had 19, you had the, the, the flu plus also we lost a lot of Americans in World War One as right. well. Yep. And so- um, you know, those those two things combined to put a lot of strain on communities throughout the country. Understood. All right. Good to know. Uh, there you go, Greg. If you'd like to learn a little bit more, 800-705-9995. Kevin is uh, checked in. He says, a co-worker referred me to a financial advisor that he's been working with. So I went for a visit. So it turns out the advisor recommended the exact same mutual fund to me that he recommended for my friend, even though our situations are vastly different. Is it normal for an advisor to have a signature strategy, or is that something that I should be worried about? It is, It is unfortunately, Kevin, very normal for an advisor to have a signature strategy. Um, the, the question I would ask you is, did he 
advise you to have the exact same proportion and the exact same amount you know, uh, of shares because it's okay for an advisor, especially if they're using something like a passive management style like the S&P 500 to say they're allocating a certain amount of money for growth. If they're saying that you should have a Vanguard index fund, for example, um, that could be perfectly normal. What wouldn't be normal is if he was telling you to allocate the exact same dollar amount um, when you have two completely different situations and two different sets of goals. So um, definitely, definitely uh, all advisors have certain managers that they like and things like that, but they should be, they should be picking the products based on the purpose and the goal for the money. And so um, it's okay for them to use the same products for the same type of goals. Um, but if you're, to the extent your, your goals are different or your spending is different and you're trying to accomplish different things, then it probably wouldn't be okay. So, sure. all right, well, that makes sense. I mean, good. That's great insight. 800-705-9995. Kevin, if you want to know some more, let's see, we got time for another one here. At least, uh, Doris says, I just turned 65, plan to retire in two years. Do most people still have mortgage payments in retirement or do they have their home paid off by the time they finish working? I'm trying to figure out if I should accelerate the process of play, paying off my home. My interest is 3.5% and I owe about $40,000. Great question, Doris. So it's a myth that people have their, uh, we, I don't know who perpetuates this myth, but people think that they have to have their mortgage paid off when, when they retire and people say, oh, you don't want to go into retirement with any debt. The answer is you don't want to go into retirement with any high interest rate debt like credit cards. Um, a mortgage at three and a half percent is not a bad debt. And it really depends on your overall liquidity. So if, if I, I would rather you have a cushion in the bank of, say, three to five years worth of your spending need um, and still have a mortgage than than you to use up all of your liquidity and pay off a mortgage. So even though even though the mortgage is three and a half percent and you're getting maybe a tenth of a percent in the bank, there's a value to having that cushion or that liquidity because once you stop working and you pay off that mortgage, you can't necessarily go and borrow again. And what happens if you have a cash crunch or something goes wrong with the house and now you have no no money in the bank to to tap into? And so it really depends on your overall situation. Now, if you're sitting on three or $400,000 in the bank and you have a $40,000 mortgage and you want to pay it off, then yes, that's, that's a different story. Okay. But um, you don't want to, you want to make sure you have a, you always keep enough liquid so that you don't run into um, financial strain later on, because we always talk so much about making decisions from strength. That's how you make decisions from strength when you have a cushion of cash, because people who have enough money in the bank in terms of they have money to meet their their day to day expenses and they have a cushion to exceed that day to day expenses, they're gambling or they're taking a risk with money they can afford to take a risk with, whereas someone who's who's, you know, leaving themselves strapped for cash or you know, sometimes people will say house poor or whatnot. Yeah, right. Where the, all of their money is in their house. Well, that's that's great, but you probably don't want to sell your house, right? And so, um, and if you can't finance it and get mortgage, or worse, you have to go to someone who's who knows that you're desperate for the money and, and charges you a ridiculous interest rate. 
um, that's that's not advantageous, and that's that's where poor decisions happen. Sure, absolutely. 800-705-9995. These shows go by quick, Steve. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. Let's invite folks to call one last time. We still have about two more spots left. Um, we would love to sit down with you, put together a comprehensive uh, plan, especially now. You might be thinking about it as we get into 2022. Maybe this is the year you're planning to retire. So, um Let's sit down. Let's put together a plan. Again, we have two spots left. 800-705-9995. Call right away while you're thinking of it. 800-705-9995. Steve, as always, a pleasure to be here. This has been a fast-paced, fun hour, and and uh, just enjoy the learning the information. And uh, I got some really good stuff today. I, I appreciate the time, and I, I love doing the show every week. And thank you, Orlando, for listening and enjoy the rest of your your year and have a happy holiday week. And we will see you or be back here uh, in 2022. Thanks so much. The information on this program is educational in nature and is not intended to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, or other purposes. Information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of subjects discussed. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should always seek advice from a financial, insurance, legal, or tax professional that takes into account all of the particular facts and circumstances of an investor's own situation. Laurel Wealth Solutions and or Stephen Crusoe offer investment advisory and financial planning services through Bellpoint Asset Management, LLC, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Registration with SEC should not be construed to imply that SEC has approved or endorsed qualifications or the services Bellpoint Asset Management offers or that its personnel possesses a particular level of skill, expertise, or training.